Good morning, gardeners. This is Louisa Pringle Cameron bringing you another episode of The Charleston Gardener. Today, we have P.J. Garten, who is the author of Some Like It Hot, Plants That Thrive in Hot and Humid Weather, and Some Like It Hot, Flowers That Thrive in Hot, Humid Weather. P.J., I'm so glad you're here today. I can't wait to ask you, how did you get started and how in the world did you hit on this wonderful topic of plants that thrive in hot and humid weather? What in the world got you started? Well, you can blame most of it on my first, on my only co-author, F. Bryant Smith. He was the uh, county extension agent for the, tri, I guess, Tri-County area. Um, uh, he replaced probably someone you know, Preston Lewis, okay? And um, I started writing for Clemson uh, Extension, the public service end, and Brian realized that we were sort of soulmates when it came to plants that liked hot and humid weather and he approached me one day and said let's write a book and that's how it got started how did you find a publisher um <laughs> we brian and i came with a, up with a contract and i recommend this for anyone who ever ever wants to write a book especially if you're going to do a co-author sit down and figure out exactly who's responsible for what and I said that I would be responsible for finding a publisher because Brian was going to do all the pictures. The, the, the first book are all his pictures. Uh, I didn't touch. They're amazing pictures. They're, they're, and it was back in the early days when digital cameras were starting to become affordable for guys on the street. you know. And so Brian bought a digital camera and started taking pictures. Um, my book was done with film. And they digitized the film because I, at that point, I was refusing to buy a digital camera. <laughs> that was a long time ago. So anyway, um, what happened was that I started, I learned how to submit proposals to different publishers. And we came really close to accepting a publisher in uh, Florida. I think it was called Pineapple Press. And they said, well, it's not exactly the right time, but we really don't want to lose touch with you. And then one day, this lady who I had never met in my life, named Connie Wyrick, called me and said, PJ, I love the way you write. And they took the book, and luckily, they were local and less than a mile from my house, so I never used an automobile. When we were in the, in the editing process, I either walked or rode my bike. So Pete was your editor? Yes. He was my well, first editor. Well, no, Pete was not my first editor. Laura Moses was my first editor. Oh, yeah. Well, Pete Wyrick was my first editor. Oh, he's wonderful. But he was my second editor. Yes. Yeah. And I just, I just, it was a very happy situation. And it, it is. He was out. fun to work with. He was. Yeah. He was great. And then he, did he ask you to do the second book on flowers or did you propose it to him? Because Brian didn't do it with you. You did it all right. by yourself. I mean, what happened was that Brian left horticulture and went into the ministry oh. and left South Carolina. He's somewhere in the wilds of Colorado, as far as I know for sure. We've sort of lost touch. Uh, Brian and I had already sketched out exactly what we wanted to do. 
uh, annuals and perennials. We wanted to do trees. We wanted to do ornamental grasses, uh, which are very photogenic, which always worried me about how we're going to do or ornamental grasses. But um, so I did the flowers all by myself and thoroughly enjoyed it. The photographs are beautiful. Who did they the get, photography? I did. Oh, all mine. Gosh. All mine. And uh, I used uh, <laughs> oh. an Olympus OM-10. And I forget what kind of film I used. Kodachrome. Kodak Kodachrome. Oh. Had, had them made into slides so I could see them, you know, on a light board. And then Pete would ship them off to... Uh, because the publishing company was sold to Gib Smith at this point. Yes. And they would send them off to Utah and they would digitize the pictures. Well, with these two books, if you were a brand new gardener in Charleston, South Carolina, you could so easily put together a garden. It would be, they, they are invaluable. That's what we wanted to do. Because we knew as, you know, particularly, for, you know, because you're a master gardener too, the people who come here, and they're coming here more and more all the time, they don't know anything about gardening, and they need help, and they call the extension office, and we try to help them the best we can, but they need to find other resources, and we were hoping that we'd be one of their main ones. Well, I would think that every nursery in and around Charleston would have copies of these books on their desks. They did at one point. I don't know. That's a long time ago now. <laughs> well, oh, I wanted to ask you. Thryallis. Are you familiar with Thryallis? It's a new plant that is thriving. It's supposed to like full sun, and I only no. have part sun. And no. I will, well, I will show it to you when we walk out into the garden okay, later. Okay, good. I can't wait to see it. But what are you working with right now in your own garden? What's your favorite this summer? July is without a doubt one of the worst months for maintaining and keeping plants going and for blooms. I, I have a dear friend who said that he just wants to sell his house every July. You can't take the garden. <laughs> well, I tell you, one of the things that I'm doing, you mentioned a couple invasive plants. Um, uh, I have a lot of Mexican petunias. You do? I do, and I intentionally did it because I had a spot in my backyard uh, that just, I, I needed desperately needed something there, and there was a, a vacant lot at Bennett and Gadsden that had a lot of it just growing, and I knew that they were going to, just tear down whatever building was left there. So I just ripped it out by the roots. And I do this stuff on my morning runs. You know, I look at plants and go, oh, there's a, oh yeah, I can, yeah. Not from people's yards, but just growing wild in the, you know, in the streets. And uh, I brought some home and it just took off. And I really like it. I really like it, it too, but it's too invasive for me. Well, one of the interesting things about that is because there. It's from Brazil, which means that it's a native plant in Brazil. We brought it here, we meaning Charlestonians or colonials, brought it here probably in the 1800s because we thought it was so pretty. And then Victorians put it in their gardens and now it's all over town because it's invasive. All right. Another one is Oxalis rubra, which looks like um, a shamrock. Three leaves, and it has little pink flowers that, that in the, and it's all over the place. You can't dig it out because there are little seedlets inside, little bulbs. I call them bulbettes. And if you pull out one, that separates the rest of them from the mother, and they go, we're free, and then they grow again. So there, it's, it's impossible to get rid of them, all right? But I wrote an article about it one time for the Post and Courier, and I got hate mail saying, I like this flower. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, to each his own, but you know, some plants are invasive. Well, are you still writing? Yes. You are? Yes. For whom? I write for Charleston Style and Design Magazine. Wonderful. Yeah, I've been doing that for maybe five, six years. Well, I, we'll have to get our listeners to look at Charleston Style and Design Magazine. It's a great magazine, and people can get a lot of ideas decorating inside, outside the home, in the garden. It's a great magazine. And tell me about online. Are you writing anything online? No. Every Now and then things pop up online that I've written that I have no idea how it got online. Someone at the Historic Foundation uh, called me a blogger. Uh, this past spring, and I'm like, do I blog? I, I thought so, that. PJ, on gardening. Well, yeah, there's garden on gardening. Garden on gardening. Yeah, right, but I haven't added anything to that for years, and I keep saying, oh, I'm going to put something on there and get it started again, and I, I, there are just too many things going on. And you're writing a new book on the camera. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it because I, I have to... I, the first picture I ever took in my life was a, with a brownie camera when I was eight years old, and I took a picture of a vinca flower in Florida. And my mother said, you're supposed to take pictures of people, not flowers. And I oh, yeah? <laughs> I don't do people. I do plants. I always have. <laughs> so uh, I got involved in photography um, back mainly because, you know, I was on my own on the, on the second book. And I've taken every class available at the College of Charleston on photography. I've been to Penland School of Craft twice for photography. And now I'm really into large format cameras. That's fascinating. And so now I want to write a book on the history of the technology of the camera. Well, I wish you luck on that. But Thanks. tell us more about your own garden. Do you have time to garden? Um, yeah, on occasion. <laughs> I'm really lucky. My garden has good bones. I have a lot of camellias. Uh, I have um, sable palms that I wish I could get rid of, but the city won't let me cut them down. Um, and I'm at the point now that I've been with this garden for 30 years, and it needs new eyes. So I've hired Charleston Landscape Design Company to come in, and, and let's work together and figure out a new approach to this garden. I have hollies that were probably put in in the 1930s that are they're on decline. They need to be taken out. So we're going to, you know, take those out. We're going to the basic design of the garden is still there, but we're going to take away and add to and refurbish the lawn. And so that's been my project this summer. And, and I had you're a lot going of fun. to fill it with plants that thrive in hot of humid course, weather. Of course. Uh, there's one in there that a lot of people don't know about. It's called Cardboard palm? Never heard of it. Oh, it's still, and I grew one intentionally. That one of the, my garden's kind of screwy right now because I'm always planting plants so I could write about them. So I need to observe and, and figure out, well, you know, what, what works and what doesn't work. So it's kind of a mishmash of things, but my cardboard palm has done quite well. And so we're going to incorporate a couple more into the new landscape design. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Oh, well, it'll be done sometime. <laughs> well, is there anything you'd like to tell our listeners before we close? Um, only the, the, if you garden in Charleston in the summertime, please don't overdo it. You know, get our friend Lucille McClellan. Okay. She, it wouldn't surprise me if she's still out there every morning at 530, you know, even though she's, she's way past her mid nineties. Uh, get out early in the morning, wear insect repellent, 
and get it done before nine o'clock and, and you will be all right. But I worry, I lost a friend a couple years ago because he was gardening in the, the high heat of the afternoon and they found him face down in the ferns. So, I mean, you have to be careful. That's the most important thing I would, would tell people and not to go to the garden center and purchase impulsively. I know that, I know that a lot of local garden center owners are, are, would curse me when I say that, but in the long run, they're going to have happier customers and get better results if they could somehow get people to be more thoughtful about what they put in their garden before they do it. That is wonderful advice. Well, thank you, Daniel, for helping us produce this today. And as Benjamin Disraeli once said, how fair is a garden amid the trials and passions of existence. Mm-hmm.